What if you just want to come back and roleplay as a player? What are the ways back to the table as a player as opposed to being a game master? Welcome back, Rescuers. I'm your host, Che Webster, and this is Roleplay Rescue, the show about getting you back to the table as a roleplayer. This is Season 2, Episode 3. Today, I want to talk about what it might mean to come back to the table as a player, rather than as a game master. Back when I started sketching out Season 1 of Roleplay Rescue, I was coming at the question of how to get back to the table through the lens of my own painful, almost loss of the hobby, as I first became an adult and again over the past year or so. One of the side effects of carrying all that baggage was that I think I approached the issue of getting back to the table through the mindset of a game master. Perhaps the biggest criticism of the show so far is that it assumes too much of the listener, that you guys want to become game masters. What if you just want to find a game and roll some dice and roleplay as a player? That's what I want to talk about today, but my thoughts do come with a health warning. I don't, as a rule, play in games as a player. I am a game master, and I have been a game master for a very long time. I think I have a limited understanding of what getting a game as a player involves, and therefore I'm not sure my thoughts here are going to be very useful. But hey, let's see. You never know. There might be something here for you anyway. When we say we want to play in a role-playing game, what do we mean? For me, playing is the alternative to running a game. GMs run games, players play in them. Playing in a role-playing game usually means turning up, making a character, joining a group of characters, and engaging in the scenario that the GM presents to you. To loosely quote, using lots of silent ellipsis, ellipsi, from the Angry GM's excellent book, Game Angry, quote, the basic role-playing conversation always starts with the GM describing the situation the characters find themselves in. Next, the GM invites the players to act. Now, one of the players will speak up and describe the action they want their hero to attempt. The GM assesses the action and determines the outcome. After determining the outcome, the GM describes the result, explains how the situation has changed, and invites the players to take further action, end quote. While you can tell from that outline of the role-playing conversation, the GM is doing most of the work in describing the situation, inviting players to act, adjudicating their actions, and describing the new situation. The loop, however, breaks if the player does not propose an action. In fact, the loop needs two things from the player an idea of what you want to achieve, and an outline on how you go about achieving it. Quote, when a player tells you what their hero is doing in response to a situation, that's called declaring an action. Basically, the player is describing the action they want their fictional hero to take in the game world. Just because a player manages to declare an action doesn't mean they've declared a good, useful action. They get it wrong, a lot, usually by leaving out critical information. See, In order to adjudicate an action, they have to know what the hero is trying to accomplish and how the hero is trying to accomplish it, end quote. What Angry reminds us here is that, as a player, you are responsible for making choices about not only what you do, but how you go about doing it. There is a huge difference between getting through a locked door by picking the lock rather than smashing it down. The consequences of each approach to getting through the door 
will be entirely different. Or at least they will be if your GM is any good. Role-playing games are about choices, and as a player, you get to make two types of choice. You choose what you want to do, and you choose how to go about doing it. Simple, really. But, speaking as a GM, many players get this wrong. I make an attack roll. I make a perception check to see if I find any secret doors. No. No, no, no. Folks, no. Let's rephrase those examples. I attack the goblin with my sword, swing it in an arc and aiming for the chest. I want to see if there are any secret doors in this room. Goril will walk around the edges of the room and look for any signs of fakery. Odd or missing mortar, different coloured stones, whatever. I'll also randomly tap on the wall to listen for hollow sounds. Now, I'm fairly sure at least one player out there is already screaming at me about how it'd be much quicker to just declare an attack roll or a perception check. But seriously, guys, that misses the point. Role-playing games are about making choices in role as a character. Your character is more than a list of abilities on a character sheet. In the world we are creating together, there are no character sheets or skill checks or hit points or whatever mechanical device you want to refer to. Those things are, as Angry points out, simply tools for the GM to use in adjudicating your decisions. Being a player means taking on a role. It means thinking like your character in a given situation, and it means making a decision about what you want to do and how to go about doing it. Occasionally, in most games, the GM will ask you to roll some dice, but deciding on rolls, that's not your job. You are there to be the protagonist in the unfolding tale in this fantastic world. The main challenge for the player is probably finding a game master. I'm not sure of the stats on this, but the generally accepted reality is that players outnumber GMs. Personally, I'm not entirely convinced of this generally accepted reality because many of my players have been or still are GMs. But hey, it's the generally accepted reality of role-playing games. You are in the majority as a player. GMs are rare. How do you find a game? I think there are three basic avenues to explore. First, you can ask around in your locality, try and find a local, physical gaming table. Alternatively, you can ask around online, try to find an open, virtual gaming table. Or you can go solo. That's an entirely different approach that I aim to talk about in a future episode. Let's park option three for now. Oh, and there's always option four, become a GM, but that's not what we're talking about today either. So really... There's two choices, local and physical versus global and virtual. Back in the day when I wanted to find a gaming table, I would ask my friends. It was easy. But then along came university and eventually work and my friends scattered to the four winds. I was once again alone as a gamer. Except that I wasn't because by the time I was 23 I was working for Games Workshop. There were loads of gamers in my life, except that they were mostly tabletop wargamers and it was considered a faux pas to discuss other games in a GW store. So, how did I find players? Well, I asked around. Look, there might be a gaming store in your nearest town. Perhaps there is what the Americans call a friendly local gaming store 
where they stock RPGs. In the UK, these are a very rare breed and generally far less friendly than you'd expect, but they do exist. And some of them are friendly, so you can go and ask in the flags. A newer phenomenon, at least in the UK, is the Gaming Café. This is a variation on the friendly local gaming store that includes coffee, cake, and sometimes even baguettes or pizza. In Nottingham, there are two that I know of. I've set foot in one of them. I'm generally too scared to go in on my own because I'm an uber introvert and I don't like situations in which I'm alone with strangers. But in theory, you could go into one of those places too. They play board games and card games a lot. Sometimes you'll find a role player or two. One of the places in Nottingham allegedly has a separate RPG room for hire with like speakers for piping in sirenscape music and stuff like that. Sounds cool. I just wish I was brave enough to go in there. If your town or city has a Games Workshop store, which I believe were, in a crass marketing decision, renamed as Warhammer Shops, well, you might find either role players hiding in the shadows, who also like tabletop war games, or at least one member of staff who is willing to point you towards where those other games are played in town. I wouldn't hold your breath, though, the last time I went to a Warhammer shop. The staff were about 12 and didn't know what I meant by role-playing game until I mentioned Dungeons & Dragons. They just smiled and nodded and walked me to the door. At least one guy even muttered something about old folk and dementia, but that last part might not have really happened. Yeah, in for a penny, in for a pound, right? Ask at the unfriendly local Warhammer shop. Try not to let them sell you a starter set. They're good at that part. Look, gaming stores and cafes aside, you could always do the thing that was social suicide back in the 1980s and ask people you know, like work colleagues, or if you still have any actual friends, you could ask them if they play role-playing games. Actually, I'd phrase it as, did you guys ever play Dungeons & Dragons back in the day? But you get the idea. Honestly, I found younger folk, say under 30s, they're quite open to the idea of at least listening to old-timers like me describe what D&D is about. Older guys might blushingly tell you that they used to do that before they grew up. Just point those guys at Roleplay Rescue, right? Season 1, Episode 1, it's a great place for those guys. So, after wittering on for like, I don't know, 10 minutes, what have we got? Well, for a local and real table... Ask around. When you find an open table, ask to go along. I mean, don't commit to anything. Don't be picky about whatever it is they're playing. Just go, sit down for an hour or four, play, and see if you like the people. Honestly, the people will make or break your experience of a game. Shit rules with a good bunch of people can be a blast. It doesn't have to be an epic quest. If you're lucky... Some GM out there will have been listening to my podcast and they set up an open table and you can drop into that with ease. Yeah, I know, it's not likely. There's only around 100 people in the world listening to this crappy podcast right now, so don't hold your breath about the open table. But if all of the above sounds too scary, well, there's option two. But before we go to option two, consider option 1.5. Go to a gaming convention. America has a lot of gaming conventions. There are a few good ones in the UK too. Googling, for want of a better verb, role-playing games convention, uh, turns up loads of useful links, including, rather surprisingly, sites that aggregate lists of conventions. Um, Anyway, most gamers know about big shows like Gen Con or Origins or Dragon Meat or the UK Games Expo. There are loads of other ones. 
If you're American, there's bound to be one within a day or so's drive. Easy. Yeah, remember Ted, one of the players I interviewed back in Season 1? He got into gaming through attending a convention. He even met Gary Gygax there, the git. But yeah, yeah, I, you know, it could work for you, right? Back in 1998, when I first met Ian and was attending Nottingham RPG Club, we went to conventions. Some of the best and worst games I've ever experienced. All in the same day on one occasion. But a lot of fun. Ask around. Go to gaming stores. Go to gaming cafes. Go to a convention. Remember to mention that you want to get back into playing and, and you're looking for a good GM. Easy. Unless, like me, you're an introvert who hates meeting new people, hates crowds, hates shopping, hates conventions, and basically hates being with anyone I don't know. Other than that, easy. So, to recap, we're asking, what are the ways back to the table as a player? Option two is to try and find an online virtual gaming table. First of all, what the heck is an online virtual table? Well, I know about two really great applications that provide online virtual tables, Roll20 and Fantasy Grounds. Here's what they say, quote, Roll20 is a suite of easy-to-use digital tools that expand pen and paper gameplay, end quote. That's a nice and succinct and, in my opinion, really not terribly helpful definition. The better quote comes from the Fantasy Grounds user manual, although I really wish they'd put this on the bloody homepage too. Um, quote, Fantasy Grounds is an application acting as a virtual online gaming table primarily intended for pen and paper style narrative role-playing games. The software is designed to perform many of the things you can do while playing at a conventional gaming table and move it online. Run games as the game master or take part as a player, the application provides all the necessary tools to communicate, manage information and perform tasks such as rolling the dice or creating drawings." End quote. There are other virtual table applications around, many that I've never tried, and you might want to spend some time searching what's out there, but to be honest, I want to come back to the intricacies of what apps exist and why you should use them in another episode later in the series. For now, what you need to know is that gaming at a virtual table is going to involve logging online via broadband and using an application to connect to a game hosted by a GM. The most popular application because it's free to use as a GM, is Roll20. The best supported, and in my opinion, the best user experience comes from Fantasy Grounds. But then, I'm biased. And I've not tried the others. So if anyone out there wants to buy me a license for another virtual tabletop, I'll give it a go. Until then, you can play in my game on alternate Saturday nights UK time using Fantasy Grounds. As a player, it'll not cost you anything. See? I told you I was biased. Right then, how do you find an online game to play in? If you want to use Roll20, you can go to the app and search for games. Go to app.roll20.net and then click on the Find Games to Join option in the menu bar. There's a search panel and below that a list of games open to new players. Easy. You can see why Roll20 is a popular choice. It's a good place to start as well. Treat it like we talked about with finding a local game. Try some groups, have a go, and see if anyone gels with you. If you want to use Fantasy Grounds, the far superior experience in my opinion, 
then you need to do some shopping around for GMs. Yes, logging into fantasygrounds.com and downloading the app is a good start, but you'll need to locate a game. The safest option would be to search out the Society of Extraordinary Gamers, extraordinarygamers.com, and register. In there, you will find a collection of very good GMs, plus me, who run games most days of the week. The events page contains a calendar with games you can sign up to. You'll need to download TeamSpeak 3 too, but instructions are all on the Extraordinary Gamers site. The guys there are great and very helpful. It's where I met Ted and, and where I game online. It's safe, free, and lots of fun. The Society of Extraordinary Gamers, SXG, also runs online conventions. Speaking of online conventions, Fantasy Grounds also runs an annual online convention. You can sign up for one or more games, get online, and, and get some good games. That'll help you meet people online. From there, you can usually find a group to play with longer term. And gaming online holds everyone slightly at arm's length, so the introvert inside me screams less loudly. Failing all of that, you can ask around in whatever social media streams you swim in. MeWe has some excellent groups. Search for the Looking for Game or RPG Connection groups, to name but two. I'm sure Facebook searches will also turn up groups. Followers on Twitter might also be able to help direct you. Personally, I find that if I pay attention to a particular topic, the internet has a way of delivering what I'm interested in to my streams. Often, it's enough just to ask the question. Try it. And that's about my lot on how to find a game as a player. Search around locally. Search around online. Or just sign up for my Saturday night session online. And if you live near Nottingham, UK, well, look me up. We always have space at the very rickety table in my tiny front room. Really rickety. Can you hear that? Game on. This podcast is aimed squarely at the ex-gamer who wants to find a route back to the gaming table. I need you to help me to get it to the right ears. If you are an ex-gamer trying to find a way back, I really hope that I'm helping you to see the possibilities. But I need a favour. Can you help recommend Roleplay Rescue to your friends? I don't really know what that might look like, to be honest. Perhaps in casual conversation about gaming, while you're asking around for a table to play at, you might mention that you got thinking about it because of Roleplay Rescue. Or, if you know someone who's a lost gamer, you could ask them if they've heard the show. I don't know. Basically, it's like this. We need to get the show to the ears of the lost ex-gamers. I know many of my listeners are committed gamers and some are podcasters in their own right. Would it be okay to shoot someone a link to your favourite episode of Roleplay Rescue? I guess I am cap in hand asking for you guys to help me widen the reach. I need your help to call those people back to the table. Wouldn't that mean more players for everyone to enjoy gaming with? I hope you don't mind me asking. Thanks for your support and for putting up with my ruffling request. Today we've been talking about getting back to the table as a player. We've discussed what the role of a player is about. We've talked about two directions in which to take your search for a table, the local real table and the online virtual table. And we've thought about some of the barriers that might deter the more introverted of us from trying. 
I hope that there has been something useful for you in this episode and that in the fullness of time you'll get out into the wide world of role-playing games once again. For all the existing gamers out there, what did I miss? If you have something to add, please feel free to share your point of view with all of us. I'm always happy to widen the conversation. Like I said, I'm mostly a GM these days. Hi, Ofed here. Um, glad that you made your second series start, so um looking forward to what you're going to do with this second series. But I wanted to just call in and say, have you thought about, we're trying to get people into role-playing, new to new to role-playing, um, if anyone's tried doing board games first. I know me and my brother talked on a few episodes about board games and some of the similarities or the crossovers between them. Um, games where you've got basically dungeon crawls, so it's just like playing um, D&D on a, on a map, um, very simplified with hardly any role-playing. Obviously, you can put a little bit in just to add a bit of flavour, but it could be a way to get people into role-playing where they like the building the characters and levelling up from these board games and then moving on. There's lots of examples if you want some, some game examples. Hey, Arfed. Awesome to hear from you. Thank you. Uh, that's Darren Green, for those of you who don't know his name. Um, and he's a brother of Colin Spike Pit Green. So when you want to hear a little bit more about board games and uh, connections with role-playing, then obviously the Spike Pit podcast is where to head. Arfed, I've, I've thought about it, and um, probably not enough, <laughs> to be honest with you. But yeah, I've thought about it, and I think it's a great suggestion. Really, really good. Um, I guess some of the board games I liked back in the day were things like Warhammer Quest uh, from Games Workshop. And yeah, you're right great way in personally not an expert on board gaming these days um i sort of stuck my head in the sand and and stayed with the role-playing stuff but uh what a great comment and a great idea thank you so yeah guys you know if you think about getting back to playing have you thought about a board game could be the way in hey che aaron clark let's see if i can do this in a minute (laughs) i just listened to your recent episode about uh returning to the table organizing play and I think you had described some of those as cheeky methods and it left me with sort of a funny feeling about manipulating the situation to get what I wanted manipulating the situation so that I could get back to the game table manipulating the situation so that others would give in and let me do what I what I wanted to and I think you made other good points about being an adult and, you know, establishing boundaries and setting out those those things that I really want to achieve in, in my time in the hobby. I think the cheeky approach was just rubbed me a little bit wrong. Aaron, dude. Look, first of all, thanks for the message, okay? It rocked me back a little, to be honest, but I do appreciate your honesty. I guess you are calling me out on what you perceive as manipulative behaviour, and I'm certainly guilty of that on occasion. How to respond? First of all, sorry that my cheeky suggestions, as you put it, rubbed you a little bit wrong. Let me say that it was never my intention to make suggestions that you might find morally questionable or which make you feel uncomfortable. Cheeky ideas. 
In British culture, we have this concept of cheekiness that I don't think exists in the same way in American culture. It's basically the idea of sly and artful quick-wittedness. It was the way of folk like Oscar Wilde, John Lennon and Jarvis Cocker. It's a kind of stick-it-to-the-man thing with a nudge and a wink. In my episode, I was trying, and clearly failed, but I was trying to help with something that I've noticed with older friends. In short, not all partners and significant others are supportive of our hobbies. I've lost count of friends who are no longer permitted to have fun times with gangs because their other halves have either outright blocked it or, more commonly, made it really hard just to do. As one friend put it, we have a culture in which it is considered natural, especially for men, but natural to commit to a partner, even to get married, and then to expect the old friendships and activities when you were single, to expect them to stop. Frankly, I consider this to be bollocks, total rubbish, and very annoying for those of us who are left behind. My tips are cheeky because, yes, they do disrespect those kinds of partners. I think many Brits would get what I'm suggesting, find a clever way to circumvent these unspoken expectations from the unreasonable partner. Like you, I'd much rather have an adult conversation with a partner. In my case, she is very supportive of my hobby, but not everyone is so blessed. Aaron, I'm not trying to be immoral. That said, if it makes you or anyone else uncomfortable, well, please take or leave my ideas at your leisure. Thanks for calling me out on that, though. I reckon you won't be the only one who finds me rubbing them up the wrong way, as you put it. Thanks, man. Hi, Jay. This is Vance. Been appreciating uh, your podcast and your own kind of explorations on getting back into gaming and pursuits. Um, it's got me to reach out and uh, kind of start uh, exploring some connections myself. And also, um, I think this also speaks to a lot of us at this time of life of being able to kind of reconnect with our various friends, passions, communities, um, in other ways. And so I've been, without making this sound too hoity-toity, um, been uh, contemplating this for this attitude for getting a hold of, you know, kind of returning to some of the other things I love to do. So anyway, really appreciate your your thoughts and uh, keep at it. Take care. Bye. Hey Vance, great to hear from you. Um, being another first-time caller, I'm loving it. Dude, I think it's brilliant what you're saying about kind of rediscovering our interests and passions. And yes, of course, that goes far beyond role-playing. I think I'm the only one around here who's utterly obsessed with role-playing games to the exclusion of almost everything else. Dude, you, you're right when you say it's important for us to get back to what we enjoy. And at this point in our life, you know... When I think of more days behind than there are ahead of that 4,000 weeks that the average person has, you know, I've probably got way less than 1,500 to go. And yeah, I'm making the most of them. So, dude, thanks for calling in. And yeah, maybe tell your friends as well. I think it'd be really important for us to kind of, you know, get them back gaming or whatever else it is that you like to do. Thanks for the call, man. Hey, this is Gwithaint. Um, big fan of Doug Cole's work. I've been involved in all of his Kickstarters. Um, you certainly can play low-level uh, GURPS DFRPG um, dungeon crawling. 
I put out a couple rules on my blog for running 75-point characters, which are kind of like first level. And uh, Peter Del Orto of the Dungeon Fantastic blog had put out a supplement officially for the GURPS Dungeon Fantasy line, uh, number 15, called Henchmen, which is about playing with 125-point characters. And I've run 75 and 125-pointers at cons. It works out right, nice and smooth. It's an easy way to get into it. Hey there, Gwithain. Great to hear from you. Thanks so much for calling in. A first-time caller, I think. Um, I'm just really enjoying this today. Anyway, just wanted to say thank you. Um, for those who aren't sort of following our conversation, because uh, Gwithain and I have been, you know, typing away via MeWe and also on my blog, um, I've been kicking around the idea of playing some GURPS solo, um, using Dungeon Fantasy and Gwithain kind of got in touch and said hey you could do that with low level stuff he knows how much of a fan I am of low level play um, and yeah he pointed me at uh, the Henchman supplement number 15 from the Dungeon Fantasy range so thank you for that dude that's really great and uh, I just wanted to kind of echo that um, I know that having looked at that there's some cool stuff in there um, a 75 point game really appeals to me um, so yeah, thanks for calling in and kind of pointing us at that. Um, if any of you are interested in um, Gothaint's, um comments on his blog, it's the Northport blog. Um, it's uh, gwythaintny.wordpress.com. Um, that's g-w-y-t-h-a-i-n-t-n-y.wordpress.com. Um, and there's some stuff on there. You might have to dig around a little bit to find the, the files, but there's some pregens and other things that are actually brilliant. Um, right, I'm rambling now, so I'm just going to stop. Thank you so much for calling in, dude. It's really, really cool. And it has kind of encouraged me to pick up my GURPS game. I'm not going to do that immediately. I've, I've got a game to prep for tonight, um, it being Friday. Uh, but I'm, I'm going to have a really good look at that over the next couple of few weeks. So thank you. Um, and please, you know, keep listening. And I hope to hear from you again soon. All the best. Wow, so many call-ins over the last week or so. It's so fabulous to hear from you all. Thank you. I'm really starting to feel like we're building a community together. And it's been great. I've really enjoyed it. So thank you to everybody who took the time to call in today. um, And support me, really. Thank you. Please, if you've got something to say, if you have um, a question, if you disagree with something, please get on the Anchor mobile app and drop us a message. That just leads me to say. I hope you are enjoying Roleplay Rescue. If you ever want to get in touch, ask questions or share your point of view, you can leave me a voice message. You can also drop comments onto the Roleplay Rescue page on Facebook and the even more popular page on MeWe. Just search for Roleplay Rescue on those social media platforms and you can follow the pages with an easy click. You can even email me via hello at rpgrescue.com. I'm Che Webster. Thanks for listening. I'll be back next weekend with another episode of Roleplay Rescue. Game on.